Welcome to the Morning Scroll. I'm Rabbi Dina Cowens from Mishkan, Chicago, and you're listening to what will be a quick dive into this week's Parsha. If you've been meaning to brush up on your Jewish literacy or you're looking for some inspiration, you've come to the right place. This week, we read Parshat Yitro, the name of Moshe's father-in-law. We'll start with a brief recap. Moshe's father-in-law, Yitro, hears about the Israelites' escape from Egypt and comes to meet them in the desert with Moshe's wife and two sons. The two of them have a warm reunion and offer sacrifices together, and then Yitro sticks around for a while to see how things are going. He notices that Moshe is working himself to the bone dealing with every little thing, so he counsels Moshe to appoint judges and elders to deal with the minor stuff, freeing up Moshe for bigger issues and teaching Torah. Moshe agrees with this suggestion and implements the new system, and then Yitro goes back to Midian. Six weeks after leaving Egypt, the Israelites arrive at Mount Sinai, where God gives them a series of laws to purify themselves and calls the Israelites a kingdom of royalty and a holy nation. Moshe's like, you guys ready to make this thing official? And the people say, yes, for sure, we're in for whatever God says. So they spend three days getting ready, and on the third day, Moshe climbs a shaking, booming, flashing mountain, leaving the Israelites at its base. God comes to the top of the mountain to meet Moshe and offers ten utterances. Believe in me and only me, don't worship idols, don't take my name in vain, keep Shabbat, honor your parents, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, and don't covet another's property. The Israelites by the end of this are pretty traumatized from all the sound and sensation, and they ask Moshe if from now on, maybe he could just serve as their intermediary with God, which Moshe agrees to. The Parsha ends, as so many do, with a bunch of laws, this time about idolatry and building an altar. Reading the experience of the Revelation always gives me goosebumps, but it also makes me wonder, why was it like that? And how would I feel if I was there? By the end, the people are so terrified and overwhelmed that they don't want to interact with God ever again, at least not directly, and they ask Moshe to be their go-between. Was that God's goal? Why did God manifest with such a bang, literally, in this moment? I'm struck that in the story of Elijah, another person who encounters God directly, God specifically doesn't manifest in a very sensory experience. In that story, Elijah encounters light and sound and sensation, and God is not in any of those. God appears to Elijah in a still, small voice. So what's the story with this first revelation? Though the Israelites express being overwhelmed by connecting with God like this, I wonder if the still small voice version would have actually been even harder for them to experience. The Israelites have been through a tremendous amount of trauma and stress over the last few months, transitioning from slavery to freedom through a series of major high-octane plagues and then a miraculous journey across the sea. Their experience of God, therefore, went from being completely absent in Egypt to present with the volume turned all the way up. For God to turn it all the way back down again might have led to the Israelites feeling abandoned or disappointed. It takes experience for us to recognize nuance in anything, but especially in our conception of divinity. If we're not used to silence or stillness, we might find that space initially filled by our thoughts. So perhaps God's approach to match the tenor of the Israelites' previous encounters with divinity in this moment of revelation was actually the sensible way to go. Over the rest of the Torah, we will see that the Israelites become more able to experience God in different ways, learning to use the Mishkan and Moshe as points of access. But the point that most sticks out to me about that is that it is a process. There isn't one way in which it's most effective or meaningful for them to encounter God. Their capacity to be with divinity morphs and changes over time. So I want to offer the Israelites a blessing that they are able to take this moment of overwhelm in stride 
and remain open to the possibility of other ways to experience God and the world as part of an ongoing relationship. And I want to extend that same blessing to you and to myself, that we will all feel resilience in our relationship with the divine and the ability to navigate moments that we feel like God is too present or too absent from our lives with patience and, yes, faith. I'll see you next week.